0: Hello, and welcome back to A Sharper Life, the podcast where we explore strategies for living your best life. I'm your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time best-selling author, wellness expert, and transformation coach. And today I wanted to do a little bit more of a personal and intimate podcast episode. And so I'm going to be talking about my eating disorder journey. Now, whether or not you have an actual eating disorder, I still am going to recommend that you listen to this because I'm talking about all the different ways that we numb ourselves, we distract ourselves, we abuse substances, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol. And so, whether you have an actual eating disorder or you have some form of disordered eating, or you're scared of food or certain food groups, or you feel like you need to over-exercise, or just you're unhappy with your body and where you are now, I think this episode is going to resonate a lot. And so this is one of those fun ones where it's unscripted. You and I are just sitting here, we're chatting, and I can't wait to tell you about, I guess, the the journey that I went through and how I overcame my two eating disorders, my body dysmorphia and my addiction to various other things. And so there are three big takeaways that you're going to learn from listening today. Number one is that change does take time, but the thing is Anything is possible when you are open to exploring, learning, and integrating all that you have learned. Takeaway number two is that there is something called a beautiful binge, which I'm going to explain what it is and changing the way that you look at food. And takeaway number three is understanding the why behind your actions, whether it's, as I've said before, it's addiction to food or even the addiction to the fear of food, to over exercising, to the spending. I know a lot of people do you know, they spend a lot of money to combat feelings. And so what this is really going to kind of tail into is the need for numbing and distracting and what you are numbing and distracting from. So with that being said, my eating disorder journey, let's say, started when I was, I mean, really, it, it, I want to say I didn't have an actual problem per se with food until I was, I think I was 18 or 19 and I was living in LA and I'll tell you the story of like the catalyst moment of kind of what set me off. But what I do realize and what I've learned is that growing up my dad, who is a trim man, he is in no way, shape or form someone who needs to diet he would go on different diets and so i remember doing the south beach diet with him and i remember we did the slim fast and and just various different diets and so what i now know is that as a young kid i was actually looking for connection with him and so i would do these things not because i necessarily thought i needed them but it was more about a connection to my father and having something in common and when I was in middle school, growing up, I was always just a really, really thin kid. Now, yes, I am very aware that I have been blessed with good genetics and that I I have the certain body that I do. But when I was in middle school, I didn't really understand exercising and the power of exercising for the body. And not I don't, I don't mean exercising for you know, trying to look a certain way, but just like as a lifestyle, even though I grew up with two parents who like my mom cooked dinner every night for us. And my parents, my mom was an Olympian. My dad was a cyclist as well. They both rock climbed, we would hike. So I grew up in a very, you know, what one would think like a healthy household. And so in middle school, I was what you would call skinny fat. Now that didn't bother me. It didn't make any impression on me whatsoever. And it wasn't until I did an exchange program to LA when I was in my junior year of college. And my junior year, I decided that I was going to go out to LA to go act and model. I was modeling a little bit here and there when I was younger, when I was 16, when I got my driver's license. And For those of you who like have seen my modeling photos i was not one of those girls that got scouted in the mall i had crazy acne i was as i said skinny fat i was not photogenic i'll see if i can find my first ever modeling photo shoot it is not cute you guys but that being said i did learn the power of makeup and and whatnot and so i decided to go to la and i got there and I was so out of my comfort zone where I was now living in a dorm and it, it was a different style kind of campus. It, it was CSULA, Cal State, uh, Los Angeles. And in that there were four different rooms in our apartment. And so we all shared a kitchen. There was no like dorm style eating, whatever Um cafeterias. So we had one kitchen, we had two bathrooms, eight girls. So two girls uh, in each room. And it was the first time in my life where as an only child, I was living in the same room as someone else. It was very loud on the campus. And suddenly I was, it was, there was nothing that I could control. Now I share all of this because it's retrospective and I've done a lot of work to understand where the, the disordered eating came from. And I remember seeing a photo of myself on the beach. It was right before school was starting. And I was with, or I think it was no when school had started and I was with some new friends and I hated the way that I looked because as mentioned, kind of skinny fat and my proportions were all sort of funky, Really, like, yes, you could look at it and say you looked great, Nikki, but I didn't feel good. I didn't feel confident. I didn't like how I looked. And so I went on an incredibly restrictive diet because the agency that I signed to also said, you know, you do need to lose a few pounds. So I went on a really strict diet of eating one egg in the morning. I would make an omelet with so one egg one piece of like the orange craft cheese and then some ketchup which is not healthy but it was low in calorie and then for lunch i would have some iceberg lettuce a few croutons and some ranch dressing and i laugh as i like no wonder my digestion was bad and my skin was bad and then for dinner i would repeat either the salad or the omelet and then i had night classes so i would do i wasn't drinking coffee at the time so i would do green tea with skim milk and like four packs of Splenda, which not, just not good. So I did this for a year and I started running crazy amounts. I'd always loved running, but I started running a lot. And I was also doing a swimming class. And so I lost weight very quickly. And I remember going back to Colorado for Halloween and everyone was saying how skinny I was and not in a good way people were actually quite worried for me but i felt great because of two things one yes my body had changed so i did feel more confident but two i felt more in control of various things in my life so cut to at the end of the year i moved back to colorado i gained back weight it wasn't even a thing anymore like i was eating totally normal again back to eating just everything and anything i wanted and so The eating disorder the need for control went away when i was back in colorado so i graduated university had no problem whatsoever like if you look at my photos from my junior year of college i'm tiny and then my senior year when i graduated i'm back like just a normal size which was great and then i went to shanghai and once again immediately you know the whole eating disorder kicked in again where i was sharing a room with someone else i was not happy We didn't have uh, Facebook was blocked in China at the time, I believe, when I was there. And we weren't you weren't like Zoom calls or anything like I had to actually go buy a a calling card to call home. And so I would email with friends and family. So I felt very lonely, but I was also chasing my dreams, which was great. It was something I'm really proud that I did. but I went back to eating a very, very restrictive diet, and I—I I mean, even worse this time, where I would eat just like carrots, and I'd have these like tiny, tiny little strawberry yogurts, and I would have like six diet cokes a day, and then like a pack of really salty, um, oily peanuts, but like all very low calorie. And so my skin's breaking out, but I was skinny. And so I then leave Shanghai and I I guess I'll put something else in there that we also did have really ginormous cockroaches in our kitchen. So even if we wanted to cook, it would, it wasn't really a thing. So that was like a, a, I would say need for control and also circumstantial. So I went back to Colorado after that, I Got a job uh, in marketing. And again, no challenges with eating whatsoever. I felt like I was back to living life. Like when I picture myself in those moments, I would go back to Colorado, where I'm from, everything would just disappear and any need of control with eating just totally dissipated. And I was also, when I was in Shanghai, I was crazy, crazy exercising, doing two times a day workouts, cardio, pretty much only. So, once again, lost a lot of weight, got back, and then put that weight back on. I then decided that I was going to go to Australia to just go explore, to model, just for no other reason than I, I love traveling. and I love new experiences. I'm not, at this point, I wasn't afraid to move. So I get to Sydney and I join another modeling agency and i i just was not getting many jobs so it kicks in again of you know restrict but this time i did it in a little bit of a different a, a, let's say more healthy way where i learned the power of real food and so i was on a very very strict thing for 6 weeks but at least it was like eating oatmeal with cinnamon in the morning and having lots of vegetables and raw almonds and it was more like carb heavy fat heavy but still you know more minimal calories i was working out with a trainer and during this time even though i lived in an apartment on bondi beach and i loved my roommate i was still very lonely and i went back into the very restrictive eating after i came off this detox lost a ton of weight once again felt amazing, thought I looked great. When I look back on photos, I'm like, Ooh, you look like a 10-year-old little child, Nikki. But at the time I didn't see that. And so I also wasn't really drinking much at this point. But what would happen is that I would start binging on raw almonds because that was part of my diet. I didn't want to cheat on this six-week thing. And I would eat so many that I would feel physically sick. And that's not it's not a nice feeling. It was the first time that I'd ever experienced this. so then my dad came to visit both my parents separately, and he was with his his and i mean his wife, and they would buy chocolate and various things and I remember when they would be out, I would start binging on all of the chocolate, hoping that they wouldn't tell and sometimes I would go and buy it to replace it and so later, my dad sent me an email, which was one of the hardest emails I've ever ever received, but I understand it now, where he said it was like being around Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where he didn't ever know which side of me that he was going to get. And when I was in those moments of the binging and then the self-hatred afterwards, of course, I turned into a virgin that I didn't like, but I was so in it that I, I couldn't remove myself to see that behavior at the time. And so cut two. I then decided to do a, not a year, but I, I guess a while of international modeling because I realized that at 22, and this sounds crazy, but at 22, you're getting old, older for a model, an international model at least. And so I was like, this is my one chance to do it. So I took it. It was amazing. I'm so glad I did it. I first went to Seoul, Korea which was so much fun. Oh my God, it was just the best. And I lived with two other guys. We went out and I was with a really small agency, but once again, I wasn't getting much work. And so something that I learned within the modeling industry was that my agents never really knew how to place me, meaning they didn't know what jobs to necessarily send me to because I was too skinny. For a lot of the commercial work, I was, you know, the blonde haired, blue eyed girl where that was kind of all the rage, but I was too skinny for that kind of commercial work. I was also too tan for for Korea because they love you being really pasty white. And my agents at the time in Korea... So what I'll say is that I had a more balanced diet in Korea than I probably had anywhere else while I was modeling and I was eating you know noodles from the street and we were all going out and because of that human connection I found and again this is retrospective I now realize that I wasn't as restrictive so I was still really really skinny but I was a little more mindful about portions. So I was still allowing myself to eat kind of what I wanted, but I was still really, really skinny. And I re- I actually remember getting on the treadmill at uh, the treadmill, uh, getting on the scale at one point, And it was a certain number. And I said, I cannot go below this. I mentally cannot let myself go below this. So I was at least aware that even though I was doing that, I also didn't want to go further with it. So it was all about control. And when I wasn't getting jobs, well, what do you control? You control what you're eating. And so the agents, they were so sweet. And I realized that they didn't mean anything by this because one, they didn't know, but two, they didn't know how I was going to take it. But they they told me that they wanted me to gain weight, but they only wanted me to gain weight in certain places. So they wanted me to gain weight on my lower, like by my knee, my lower thigh, not my upper thigh and a place on my arm, not a different place. And so I took that as right in this subconscious mind of like, okay, great. You can go eat what you want. And that's where the binging really started. And so I remember after that meeting with them, I went and I got a candy bar. I probably got two. I got a drilled beer. I was because Korean beer is really good. And I was so excited to be able to do this, to eat things without the restriction. Now, the challenge was that I was doing that and then I would feel really guilty and bad afterwards because I wasn't doing portion control. I wasn't eating it out of love. I was eating these things really based on a subconscious fear, which is why I'm so passionate about what I teach now and especially the Ultimate Transformation Program and and one-on-one clients because I get to share everything that i've learned that healed me with you to help you overcome the same thing so cut to i then went to bangkok and bangkok was really challenging for it was so much fun let me start there bangkok was one of the best places that i lived we had so much fun and i my diet was far more balanced again than anywhere else i feel like i was eating a lot more things but I was also still very skinny working out a lot. And I remember, I mean, gosh, it's so crazy. They would measure us literally all over our body. So they would measure your neck. They would measure various parts on your arm. They'd measure your ribs, your waist, your your stomach, your hips, your thighs, like head to toe, your whole body would be measured and weighed. And Bangkok has a lot of amazing food. And a lot of the girls from Brazil would come and they would eat because we, it was so yummy, and they would gain weight and so they would actually send you home after two weeks in a row if you gained weight or, or a certain you know portion of weight. And so you know there's a lot of negative things to be said about the modeling industry, and there's also an incredible amount of positive things that came from it, at least in my life. So I'm not going to put my eating disorder on the modeling industry. But I am going to say there were aspects of it that definitely didn't help. So after I left Bangkok, I then went to Athens. And Athens is where, again, starting to definitely eat healthier, but I would also binge. And so it was kind of this balance between, well, if I binged on this beautiful cake with this little bakery by us, I would binge. And then I felt so guilty. So I would restrict for the next day. So that's where a lot of the binging and restricting started happening. And I left Athens and I went to New York. And after being in New York, I, yeah, New York was really tough because there was a food shop on every, like literally every other shop was something food related. And for someone who had serious issues with eating at the time, that was really, really challenging for me. Um, Oh, actually, I just realized I went to London before I went to New York. And the reason I tell you that is because something that I learned about myself was that the more West that I went in the world, like traveling around the globe and living, the more I started binging because one, it was more accessible and two, because of just the ingredients that they put in their food. Like they do not put the same ingredients in their food in South Korea as they do in New York. And So one, there's like food addiction, actual chemical addiction coming in to the availability of food became even more. And so it's like, you know, you're in Korea and you go out at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, like stores are shut. And then you go to London and stores are open much longer. And then when I went to New York stores, some are open 24 hours a day. And so I found that New York was, really, really challenging for me to be there. Um, I was also desperately unhappy. And at first I lived in a model apartment and then I moved in with another model and her boyfriend. And I came to later find out that they were doing really, really hardcore drugs, which is one, how she was staying skinny, but two, just like that Jekyll, Mr. Hyde comment my dad made, I could see that in her, where when she'd done the drugs, she became a totally different person that I didn't like being around. And I was, I I tried to avoid her at all costs at at that time. Um, She ended up telling me to leave the apartment one day when she was on a a drug binge. And she was really angry that I was giving her boyfriend some tips on how to ease his back pain with yoga. And (laughs) long story on that one. But she had told me to leave. And I, I took that as a, you know what, that's it. This is the universe giving me a sign to leave, to go home, go to Colorado. So I called my mom and said, you know, Hey, can I come home? I'm literally going to ship some boxes today and buy a ticket. And she said, of course. And I went to my modeling agency and I told them that, you know, I want out of my contract because I felt very taken advantage of with them. They were not paying me the money that I was being told I was going to get. And, that was the last modeling job that I did with any sort of love and joy. I actually decided after that I was never going to travel again as a model. And the other thing about that was, as I was learning more about nutrition, too, I did. I remember um, her name is Cynthia Sass. So I did her program, which was a really well-balanced program in terms of food. And I felt the best that I have ever felt in my life. And I lost weight, felt great. And I wasn't binging restricting while I was on the program. Now I was also going to the gym for like two hours a day. So not healthy at all. And I, then I leave I leave New York and I went back to Colorado. And while I was in Colorado, I, I made a an agreement with myself, which was for 30 days, I am going to cook all of my meals at home or like, you know, if my mom did or with my dad, but meaning that I wasn't going to like go to a grocery, uh, not a grocery store, like a just whatever store and like pick up bingy food. I was going to actually sit down with a plate, with a knife and fork, and i was going to exercise but outdoors as often as possible and if i couldn't do it outdoors it was going to be something like yoga and so that was a really big catalyst for me because i remember taking a photo in my mom's mirror and it's it's a sideways one i'll see if i can find it for you all and i'm on a staircase and i'm turned to the side and i i look 2d like I, i it's not healthy but i felt great that i let me rephrase that I thought I looked great, but mentally, I knew that I was suffering really, really big time. And so interestingly enough, during the course of these 30 days, I put on some weight, but I toned up and I, because I'd been outside, I'd been with friends, I was eating real foods. Even though I gained weight, I thought I lost it. Like I thought I looked great in the photo and I felt amazing. And so I learned there was something about food and it was like this little click went off in my mind, which was, and it wasn't the full click yet, but it was like, eat real food, feel good. Right. So that was kind of the beginning stages. And I realized I was really passionate about exercise and nutrition after this. So I decided to move back to London and with having no idea what I was going to do at this point in my life. So I, I go back there and I knew that I was interested in in the the health world, and so this is also the time where I started my Instagram account. And back in the day, some of you will remember this. The account was called Skinny Mini Me XOXO, and it was because I was still on a mission to be skinny. That was like all that mattered, and we didn't have the fit mentality yet as society. That that was a still a few years to come, and so. I go back to London and I decide that I'm going to sign up for a a personal training course, uh, not personal training, but like a nutrition, but a very science-based one. And then also I started taking courses at the College of Naturopathic Medicine um, and a few other places. I'm, I'm forgetting the other one, but I took all of these different certifications like sports nutrition, nutrition for everyday living. That was an amazing long program. I did one on raw foods. And so as I learned these, I realized that there was something, there was a passion about it, but I was still going through very much my binging and restricting really, really badly. And so at this time, this is now 2013, I go to a doctor and I tell him that I have depression and that I'm a little scared that I don't want to be here on this planet anymore. That's how bad it had gotten. And why I believe it got to that point at that time was because the binging and the restricting, I was beating myself up so much for every decision I made or didn't make. I was lonely. I got a job as a PA and I started helping. There was my coworker was getting married and she was doing all the wrong things. And I started giving her just really simple tips, just things like I was passionate about. I'm like, oh, well, you could do this and add some almonds to your oatmeal in the morning. And she did it and lost all the, the weight that she wanted to for her wedding quicker than she thought. She felt amazing. And I remember her telling me that she couldn't have done it without me and that I definitely had something special. And so at this point, I had gone to the doctor because I'd gotten let go from that job. And the binging was getting really, really bad. I was living in this tiny attic. I, I kid you not, I was living in an attic in an apartment in Kensington, South Ken. And I had a mattress on the floor. I didn't even have drawers to put my clothes. I had like one tiny little rack. I was paying a lot of money and I lost my job and I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And so uh, and I didn't have any money to spend or do any anything of that nature, and so I went to the doctor and and I said, you know, look, I, I have an eating disorder, and my parents knew that I had an eating disorder um, when they both came to visit me in Australia. My mom, at least, I told her it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Was I, you know, we were sitting down having wine one night, and I said, Mom, I I have something I need to share with you, and I was like, I I have an eating disorder, and she was so sweet though. She was like. Nick, I, I know. And it was interesting because when that happened, I, I, I thought it was like the end all be all. I didn't know what to do about it. And then it was actually quite validating to have her say she knew. And then just to even speak my truth in that, because it was admitting it to someone else, not just keeping it for me. So I really encourage you that if you're going through some challenge right now, talk to someone. I mean, this is what people do with me when they work with me, I become your confidant because I understand what you're going through and I know how scary it is to share. So anyways, cut to, I tell my doctor then 2013 that I, you know, I'm a little scared that I might try and commit suicide. And I was terrified of that. And so he gave me a referral to an eating disorder clinic and I met with them As like a preliminary, I explained the situation and they said, okay, it's a six month waiting list to get in. And I just remember going back to my doctor and saying, I don't have six months at this rate. So he put me on antidepressant medication. I took it for literally one day. And I was like, I am not depressed. Something is wrong and I need to understand what it is because naturally I am a fun, loving, bubbly, joyful kid. My mom always called me Pollyanna when I was growing up. I always saw the bright side of things. And so that became really the big, another big catalyst to the journey that I took. And as I share this, I really want you to start to think about your own life of what are those defining moments? I call them ahas. So if you've ever worked with me, I always talk about it as the aha. And the aha is that light bulb moment where it's a catalyst for something, even if it's the most simple, simple thing it's just like, oh, huh, how interesting. And so I started having more and more of these little aha moments that became the catalyst for more and more change. And so in your own life, what have those aha moments been? Now, I then made, and I don't know why I did this. I didn't read it anywhere. I wasn't researching about eating disorders or recovery. And at the time there was very little information like healthcare in America, at least when I lived in New York, one, I didn't have healthcare Two, healthcare didn't even cover things like acupuncture or therapy really at that time in 2012. And so I had this aha moment, which I didn't realize at the time that it was going to be such a defining moment in my life. But I told myself, I would only work out if I ate well that day. And I would not work out if I didn't eat well. Meaning if I binged, I was not going to go to the gym because I was in a place of trying to burn the calories off, which insinuates that I'm always doing something wrong. And subconsciously, it's me telling myself that I don't like myself, I don't like my body. And so I'm going to exercise because I don't like myself. So I want you to think about that as well. When you exercise, or when you make a food decision, do you do it because you like yourself and because you want to see change because you know you deserve it? Or are you doing it because of self-hatred? Because if it's self-hatred, I can already guarantee that you're not seeing the results you want. Because when we do things out of hate or anger or fear, which is what I teach in in my programs, then you actually go down the path of getting the results you don't want. Meaning if you're trying to lose weight, but you're exercising out of hate for yourself, you are not going to lose that weight. Or if you do, you're not going to keep it off and you're gonna gain the weight back. And then some, which I work with a lot of people with this challenge. And so the programs that I now, cover with pe- with my clients is how to lose weight and keep it off for good for life. And that's because of the tools that I've learned. So I do this. And the reason that this thought came into my mind was that I started thinking about kids, me as a kid. I'm like, I used to love exercise. I used to love playing outside. I would run, I would hopscotch. I'm like, but now I don't, love exercise. And I'm like, but I do. I do like exercise. I like the movement. And so if you're someone who says, oh, I don't like exercising, I'm actually going to call bullshit on that. You don't like exercising because one, maybe you have not found the thing that you do actually like. So maybe you actually love skiing, but you never go skiing. Or maybe you like going for walks, but instead you go beat yourself on a treadmill. And number two is that when we are kids, if you think about a child, the moment the school bell rings and they get to go to recess, what do most kids do? They go run outside. They play. That is because we have energy in the body that needs to be released. And so a lot of what happens when someone is going through an eating disorder, disordered eating, fear of food, binging, spending, numbing themselves through drugs, overexercising, is that you have emotions in your body, right? You, what is What is emotion? Let me back up. Emotion is energy in motion. It's energy. And so when you have a feeling, right? I am feeling angry. I am feeling disappointed. It actually goes into energy in motion and emotion, and it gets trapped in the body if we don't release it. That is why so much of the somatic body work is incredible. Things like breath work, even like shaking where you shake really, really hard, that releases the energy. So I didn't know any of this back then, but subconsciously it was like my brain was telling me this. So I'm gonna cut quite a bit here, um, because then I, I mean I, I kept moving all over the place. And in 2013, I wrote my detox program. And the interesting thing, I had 5,000 followers at the time on Instagram. I was not posting photos of myself yet. I would post headless body shots of of myself. I was talking about my eating disorder, the journey, my body dysmorphia. And I was posting photos of women that inspired me, of meals that I created. It was like literally a daily kind of food fitness diary and an inspirational diary. And people started following because I was being authentic and vulnerable. And so in December, I wrote this thing called the five-day detox. And I did it because when I looked online, there was nothing available. This was years before people were doing all the detox, the cleanses, that everything. And there were only two available at the time. Like smoothies weren't even a thing yet. Juicing wasn't a thing. So there was the Gwyneth Paltrow, Alejandro Younger thing, which was like $400 for supplements. And I'm like, I'm a broke out of job model PA and I have no money. And I also knew that that was going to be really restrictive for me. So I ended up not, I didn't want to do that. And then the other one was a Shape Magazine. It was like, for dinner one night, eat you know six ounces or four ounces of salmon, I don't like fish, and six spears of asparagus. And I was like, so that's definitely gonna trigger my eating disorder. So I wrote this program. I genuinely believe it was given to me from God, divine universe, it was channeled through me. And I wrote it and I asked my followers, do you want the program? I had never tested the recipes before I, I even put it out there as the ebook. But there was like an internal guidance that I knew. And I knew when I wrote the program that the macros were going to be perfectly balanced. I didn't do any of the calculations until afterwards. And it was like to the T of what I I thought of in my mind. It was shocking. So that's I really do believe it was a gift from divine whatever. And so I did the detox, as did hundreds of thousands of people worldwide during this time. And my account started blowing up because of the before and afters. And so I was on a journey to share my learning, things that I was learning, changing, implementing with you all. So everything that I do now, even today, is what I'm learning now, I share with you. So I did that and my I changed the name on, on my Instagram from skinny mini me to stay sharp, be strong. And that was another one of those catalyst aha moments where I was like, I don't want to be promoting this message anymore. And I went from 10,000 followers in January to 100,000 by May for various reasons. And the reason I share that is because Instagram has been such a big part of my journey in healing because I got the community... That I never had while I was traveling and being an only child and leaving, you know, going to three universities in four years, I graduated high school a year early. So I was already starting college when everyone else was doing their, their last year in high high school, didn't graduate, walk with anyone. And so it's like, I've had this very abnormal upbringing because of myself, not because of my parents, because of myself. And so I've really... I've not had community and I'm not friends with anyone from Colorado. I I mean, there's two girls, but they don't live there anymore. And outside of that, like I'm, I'm not friends with anyone from college because I went to three schools in four years. And uh, that being said, I had, I, I battled a lot of really, really tough things in high school. I battled a lot of really tough things. People being incredibly mean to me in college as well. And So that was really, that was another really challenging thing of like what made me feel so alone and what then made me feel so connected with Instagram. And the journey, I'm going to like skip through a few years now. So I write this program. I then moved from London to LA a few years later. And in LA, that's where I really started learning even more about recipes and nutrition and it's so interesting, actually, when I think about my time in London, like I had a a dehydrator. So I was making my own kale chips and I was drinking coconut water, but then I was, so I was doing really healthy things, but then I was also binging really intensely. And so then I moved to LA and I started creating all these recipes that I would share and doing like raw vegan cheesecake. And so I had this kind of mind shift, another one of those little aha moments, which was you can and I this is like me talking to myself which was nikki you can eat anything you want as long as you make it and that remember that was sort of similar to when i went back to colorado years before only i didn't realize that was the same thinking it was just like no you like do this and so then my first book comes out uh the five day detox five day real food detox and what was so challenging during this time is that I'm on TV being featured in magazines I'm 27 years old or 26 27 and you know what looks like it from the outside is that I have all this success I have my life together, I got my shit together and while in a certain way I did I also didn't and I still was going pretty heavily through the the binging and the restricting and hating my life and being terribly terribly lonely and I was in a pretty toxic, Abusive, like emotionally and mentally abusive relationship on and off for six years. And, you know, part of what I attribute to that was because I was in a toxic and mentally abusive relationship with myself. And so, if we know about the law of attraction and like attracts like, of course, I'm going to attract someone that's good to me one day and someone that's totally crazy to me another day because that's how I was with me. And that's a concept that we talk about in the ultimate transformation program deeply is the spiritual mirror. And so, and again, this is all in hindsight that I know this, this is not, I, I didn't know this back then, but I kept going back to that relationship because of the safety it gave me just as I kept being in the binge and restrict cycle because of the, and this is going to sound crazy, but the perceived safety it gave me because it was certainty. I knew that if I, ate shitty food, I actually felt good temporarily. And so it's it's another interesting thing that when we talk about numbing and distracting and we talk about addiction, you might have addictive patterns. You might have a fear of something. And yet most people don't understand that we become addicted to the thoughts that we think because they're associated with the feelings in our body. And so that was, that was probably one of the biggest things of my journey to learn and understand that, to understand that I was addicted to this sabotaging behavior and pattern and thinking because it was in my subconscious mind based on some bullshit beliefs that happened years ago that like, I don't deserve success. And so anytime I was feeling good, I would then go and sabotage myself. And so I just want you to think, do you do that in your life? If so, I I encourage you to learn more about UTP because this is why my clients see lasting change for their lifetime because of the work that I've done to understand this. And so anyways, lo and behold, then I, I uh, after that book, I went to Bali, did my yoga teacher training and zero issues with food, no binging, no nothing. Everything was fine. So I'm not sure if you can see a pattern here, but there is a pattern that anytime I'm part of community and I'm not alone and I'm doing something that makes me feel good, right? I'm doing something to progress myself. Like when I was doing the nutrition courses, I was not binging during that time. So just another thing for you to reflect and think about in your life. And so Then I went, I did my yoga teacher training. I came back. I wrote my second book, published that once again on magazine covers. I'm, you know, doing all the TV stuff, right. Doing these beautiful recipes. I mean, I'm so proud of that book. And this is where I actually came up with the concept of a beautiful binge. And if you haven't picked up meal prep, your way to weight loss, which is a great and also not great title because i understand the whole society we don't like talking about weight loss which is total bullshit because everyone wants to feel better whether it's 5 pounds or 50 but the concept of the book is that i'm giving you so much information about foods the nutritional benefits that you don't know like sure you can go google why is a blueberry good for me but i break it down in such an easy and simple way and i put together really easy beautiful meals and one thing that I learned during my journey was count colors. And the more that I started counting colors and the reason this actually happened that I was quote unquote counting colors is because when I was photographing food, I realized that if I, you know, put some mint on a bowl of berries, it looked better. And I, and I realized that during the detox, I was like, there needs to be colorful foods. And so as I was taking photos, it was like, no, there needs to be colors. I didn't learn this in 2013. Like I honestly did not learn this in any of my courses. Yes, they talk about colorful foods being good for you, but it wasn't as big of a concept as what I've learned and, and teach now. And so from there, I get to a place where I remember telling my boyfriend at the time, this on and off one, we'd gone to a business meeting and I was totally overwhelmed. I was totally stressed out. I just, I was not feeling good. And so again, that's a little moment for you to pause and reflect to ask yourself, when do you numb and distract? So the numbing is the drinking, the social media, binge watching TV. The distracting is keeping yourself busy, people pleasing, to-do lists, never slowing down. So when do you numb and distract yourself? shopping. Spending money is also a big one for um, the numbing. What feelings, what emotions are present? So for me, overwhelm and stress guaranteed to make me want to go grab a glass of wine, guaranteed. Um, and in the past it was to binge. And so, and the other important thing I want to say on that is recognizing that your behaviors and patterns will change But they will also morph if you don't do the internal self work in your mind to understand why you're numbing and distracting. Because I see so many people go from binging to they start to overexercise or they go from something and then they become orthorexic because, you know, this whole like, oh, but I'm healthy. It's like, well, no, you're still not like it's it's controlling. There's fear of. And so the beautiful binge, I told my boyfriend after this meeting I was, I was like, I'm going to binge. I'm just letting you know. And this was another moment that was really, really hard for me to share with him, just like my mom. And I said, I'm going to binge. He said, okay, how, like, what, what do you want me to do? How can I support you? And I was like, I'd like to go to Whole Foods and buy whatever I want without realizing it. It was like, I wanted this whole like messy platter of foods so that I could just like nibble and bite and everything. And we had some wine and he said, okay, and that really helped me because I was taking away the perceived restriction. And so the beautiful binge came later where I remember going to a pizza shop and I really, I checked in first and I was like, okay, Nikki, what is it that you actually want? I understand you're going to binge. And so I have a lot of conversations with myself. Like I, t- I'm talking to myself all the time and I'm sure you are too, but the question is, are you having negative loops and negative conversations or are you hearing the different voices? What I call the Siamese twin, your ego who's sabotaging you versus you who's trying to make the good decision. So I I checked in and I was like, no, I want pizza. And so I went and I got three pieces of this beautiful New York style pizza and I went home and I reheated it. And without like, I was like conscious and not conscious. I put it on a, a plate, got my knife and fork, poured a glass of wine, lit a candle, put a really nice movie on. And I sat there eating my pizza with a knife and fork, and I didn't eat as much. I didn't eat all three pieces. I think I ate like two and a half, but that was huge for me because I'd slowed down and I was more present with it. And so this concept of a beautiful binge came up, which was allow yourself to have the binge. And I'm telling you, you must give yourself permission to eat the thing that you think is off limits. Because my second question is what happens when you tell yourself you can't have it, you're going to go binge on something else. You're going to go overeat all the kids snacks in the pantry, right? You're going to feel unfulfilled. And so part of this is checking in with yourself, which cultivates presence and then allowing yourself. And why I I say it's the beautiful binge is because you are setting yourself up for a beautiful experience, even if it's something that you think you shouldn't be doing. But now, because you're giving yourself permission, you're actually calming the nervous system. And so when your nervous system is calmed down and you're not in this fight or flight, like, F you, you shouldn't be doing this, Nikki, you're a bad person, how could you? Or that mindless eating, which then you beat yourself up for afterwards. You're, you're calming the nervous system down from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic where you go into rest and digest. So that very binge that you're having, if you do a beautiful binge, you will actually digest the food better because you don't have all the cortisol running through you, which happens when we're in fight or flight, when you're telling yourself all those negative things. So I did the beautiful binge and that was a really, really key concept for me. Now I'm once again gonna jump through, zoop, and i did my chef training after that after my uh, yeah after my book came out i believe i did my chef training or sometime in between there my vegan chef training that was amazing once again community had a purpose and so one thing that i've really learned in my life is when i feel like i don't have a purpose or i'm not doing something of value this is why it's so important to understand your values and i don't have community i am more likely to binge i am more likely to want to grab that glass or that bottle of wine. And so where I would say the the biggest kind of changes happen where all of those little aha moments where you're cultivating sort of that presence, that consciousness. And during this time too, I started going to Bali and I w- I was doing yoga and I was learning meditation. And when I did yoga at home, I didn't feel as good. When I go to Bali and I do it with people, I feel amazing. I stay on track. And so For me, the things that I have learned about my own mental health, my well-being, is that I have to focus on the we, the we of wellness. So I ask people this, what do you think the difference between illness and wellness is? And you know, I'm going to ask you actually, think about that right now. What is the difference between wellness and illness? So for me, wellness is the we, it's the collective, it's the community, whereas illness is the I. It's I'm doing this. I'm alone. And so a lot of people, especially you know, as you make more money, what do you want to do? You want a bigger house. And you see these houses in LA that are just monstrosities, like 17 rooms, different wings. I can guarantee you that the, the man or woman, whoever's making the money, is distracting themselves with a hell of a lot of work while the other partner is terribly unhappy and numbing themselves through that over exercise or drugs or, or, or. And so where I'm at now, I work from home. This is now, what are we, 2023? I love that I like just looked at my computer, the screen, the recording to be like, what year are we in? <laughs> so we're in 2023 and I can say that I have no eating challenges whatsoever anymore. I have no fear of food. I have the most Balanced diet I've ever had in my life. And the reason that I have literally zero issues is because I allow myself to eat anything I want at any single time. I know a lot of people subscribe to the 80 20 rule, but I also see that backfire because on the weekends, it's like, well, you know, week I did 80%, yay. And weekend, like, oh fuck, I'm gonna (laughs) eat everything and, and then the kitchen sink. And so for me, I have t- this, and this is what has worked for me. I want to also say I am not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I am not here to give you advice on how you should live your life. I am merely telling you what has worked for me in hopes that maybe you take away one nugget that inspires you. So I really learned about intuitive eating. And intuitive eating means that in general for me, I don't need breakfast in general. It's not that I'm consciously fasting because I'm like, oh, you know, got to lose weight. It's I don't eat until I'm hungry. And so I've really learned to check in on the emotional or not the emotional, like the hunger emotional scale, because when you're emotional eating, it's a rapid fire. Like, oh my God, I need food right now, which is emotions versus actual hunger. The hunger scale, you can check and be like, oh, I'm at a one. Like I'm not, I'm just not hungry okay, I'm I'm at a, I'm at a five, I'm getting there. And the goal is to eat when you're at like an eight before you get to that ravenous 10, because I've also learned that if I, you know, don't eat for, I'm very notorious for jumping into work. And actually today's a great example. I did another podcast interview. I'm now recording this and I have only had a few nibbles and I'm like, okay, Nikki, get immediately need to go make some food right after this. And so it's, being aware and checking in with yourself on, is it a rapid fire? I need to eat. If so, that's emotional. And that's going to be a very unconscious eating, let's say. And that's going to be the one where you don't feel good after your body is in fight or flight. Your cortisol levels are going to be, you know, increase because of you're telling yourself, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You're a failure X, Y, Z. And so really getting aware of what that self-talk is and then on the other side of it is just that um, the hunger scale. And so as i was saying it's it's 2023 i work from home i don't have a lot of community. Like i have instagram, i love it. i also sort of feel and i you know this is my perception, but i feel like two things have happened with with instagram. One that it's harder to have a really deep community because we all follow so many people and we're inundated with social media and just there's so much we're being pushed, you know, in our face with things. And, and I, I speak for myself on that. Like, it's very true. I don't feel as connected to people I follow and the damn algorithm doesn't even show me half the people that I follow. And then I don't sit there and comment and like as much because I'm also busy. And so I I, actually, I'm going to say three things. One, I think we've all gotten busier. And so we're numbing and distracting ourselves way more than ever. Two, I think that you know, the community has become a bit more challenging to have create on Instagram or whatever social media you're on. And I also, and again, this is just my perception of my account. I feel like as my profile, you know, rose and people now look at my account and there's 560 something thousand followers, whatever, like, and I love you all. If you are listening to this, just know I love you. And I'm so grateful that you are here and a part of everything I'm doing. Um, and the reason I say that is because I feel like people have maybe become a bit scared to reach out to me, to respond back you know, in comments, to write things on captions, or like, I almost feel like maybe there was this air of like, Nikki is, and I don't want to, I don't say this with ego, but like Nikki is untouchable of like, oh my God, she'll never write back to me. And I'm like, no, no, no. like literally you guys, like write to me, I'm lonely, I'm bored. <laughs> and so it's, it's hard for me because, you know, I, I work from home and I love my clients. And those of you who have worked with me, I know you all can attest to, you see my passion and everything I do because that's where i that's my purpose that's my calling i've been through everything i have to truly be able to help other people and i also realize that there are times where i can definitely numb and distract myself with my to-do list with grabbing that glass of wine or that maybe bottle and and the difference of where i am now is i have a lot of grace and compassion for myself where i understand i'm on a journey just like all of you and i understand that I get to peel back these layers and get deeper into the understanding and the why. And so, you know, going back to the takeaways that I I hope that you have been paying attention to that change does take time. And if you have any sort of addiction or you have any sort of fear of food or you have an eating disorder and you feel like you're never going to get over it or you binge or 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 any of them, right, or you overspend or you drink Change can happen and I'm here to tell you firsthand that I am living, breathing proof that I thought I would never get out of this and it took time though. And here's the main thing, you have to be willing to find someone to help you because you cannot do it alone. Let me say, let me add to that, you can do it alone because I did. It took way too long though. And I wouldn't wish my journey upon anyone, which is why, again, I'm so passionate about teaching because you shouldn't deserve, or you don't deserve, you shouldn't have to go through the pain that you're feeling. And I understand that pain of whatever it is you're going through. And so I just want you to know that there are people like me out there, whether you work with me or you work with a therapist or another coach, one, make sure that they are living, breathing proof that their content and what they teach works right, that they did it themselves or they have enough clients to prove that. But also just know that like doing it alone is where the illness, the I comes from. I want you to really kind of embody this we, the collective. And so the other thing, as I talked about, is that beautiful binge and really accepting that we are all going to have moments that we don't like. There are times where, sure, I am fucking pissed off and I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to get drunk tonight. And I share that because I want you to know when I do that, it is a conscious choice. I do not beat myself up for it afterwards, which means I do not go on the sabotage bandwagon. I don't go through the spiral of suffering because I check in and I'm like, yep, that's it. I'm very aware that I am numbing and distracting myself today, but it's the awareness that allows me to then make the decision. And then the next morning when I'm out of it, or I wake up and I'm like, Oh God, I don't feel very good. I'm like, okay. And I meet myself with grace and compassion. I'm like, all right, Nikki, right. That conversation in the head. What came up for you yesterday? Right. I journal. I'm a huge advocate for journaling of doing the dream binder, which I teach in UTP of getting clear, like just Become inquisitive to your own life. And that's what I do. If I go through a night and I've definitely numbed myself or I've totally distracted myself with my like overwhelming to-do list and then I burn out in work, which happens, I slow down and I check in. I'm like, okay, so sweet, sweet girl, what happened here? Let's talk about it. So, and I have a therapist that I work with as well. I think that every single coach or every person in life should have a coach, a mentor, or a therapist, like That should be a non-negotiable for anyone you work with, but also just understanding the why behind your actions. So really getting clear on why, what emotion came up, what feeling, what could you try? What could you do differently? Everything is about just trying things. and I, I love this analogy of, let's say I give you a tool and that tool feels really weird. I want you to think about that tool being like a jacket where I've just given you a jacket and I've said, okay, try it on. you're like, it doesn't feel that good. Or maybe it's jeans or a pair of shoes. But then if you've ever had a pair of shoes and you're like, yeah, I just, I had to break them in and now they're super comfortable. That's the same as trying out these different concepts. So for some people, breath work is amazing. For other people, solo meditation alone is amazing. For some people doing group activities, doing yoga together in a community, is what's needed. So it's trying something on, seeing how it feels after a few times, then you can say, nope, that pair of shoes doesn't fit, right? That that thought, that concept didn't work for me. And so, you know, I, I really hope that you have taken away something and if you did, I would love to hear what it is. I would please, please, I'm begging you. No, I'm, I'm joking, not joking. But send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you what you took away from this podcast. What you learned. Um, as I said, I love talking to you. I love the community. I miss I miss connecting to people more. Like I just feel like it's gotten harder, and we're all so busy. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this and i share all of this from the bottom of my heart as mentioned this was completely unscripted and i just i hope that it resonated for you in some way or fashion and if you know anyone that could benefit from listening to this episode please share it because i think what i'm talking about is something that not a lot are talking about and i i I just want you to know that one, you're not alone, whatever you're going through, and two, there are solutions out there. So if you enjoyed it, please share it, give it a thumbs up, a a heart, a like, or whatever it is. If you're listening on Spotify or on iTunes, please leave a review if you enjoyed this as well. And until next week, here's to a sharper life.